0: Hey there, Polkcasters, and welcome to another episode of Polkast. Are you a student? PA student? NP student?
1: Med student? Some other student? Do you want to get hired off your rotations? It's more of a PA and thing than necessarily a physician thing, but do you want to shine on your rotations? Well, we've got some advice for you. Jared, did you know I got hired off rotations? I don't know if that was a good thing
0: or not.
1: <laughs> well, you don't have to only take it from me. We've got someone else here with us today who got hired off rotations. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Hey, Rachel.
2: Hey, how's it going? So
0: for everybody who doesn't know, this is Rachel Mulder. She's been a part of poemcast for probably a lot longer than you may have known. What was the first episode that you edited? It was a while back.
2: Yeah, it was. It's been a minute.
0: Anyway, if you've liked what you've been listening to... A little bit better than what you've liked before it's because i've stopped editing and rachel has started editing she's been making all of the magic on palmcast sound great in your ears so we're very happy to have her on the other end of the microphone this time she's a way better editor than jeremy hey now you're just getting hurtful
1: (laughs) (laughs) so a lot of these when i first wrote them down I was like, uh eh, this is common sense. But we take a lot of students, and you would be shocked at the percentage of students who don't do a lot of the things on this list or don't really take the time to think about these things.
0: Yeah, the frequency with which I have students who are not bad. They're they are very good at what they do. Uh, most students who want to come and rotate in pulmonary and critical care medicine have a pretty clear idea of, of where they want to go, and they're very high performers. But sometimes they just do things, and you're like... Are you just, are you unaware? <laughs> so hopefully, <laughs> this podcast like? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully
1: this podcast will help. So I've basically broken it down into three parts. Basic common sense practices that really could translate into the rest of your life if you're not a student. What to do on shift as a student. And then what to do when you're leaving the rotation.
0: Cool. All right, let's start with uh, some common sense that maybe isn't all that common. So please
1: just be on time for your shift. Every single shift. We get people all the time who are five minutes late, 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late. It's okay. Every now and then or once a rotation if there was a bad wreck or something and you were late, but we notice if you're late every day.
0: I usually roll in about five minutes before my shift. So if there's a bad wreck, which there usually isn't because it's so early in the morning, you might be shifted over. Are you telling these students to get here like 45 minutes early sometimes?
1: <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying that. And I bet most of my colleagues listening are laughing at me because I am <laughs> the rolling at 6 o'clock even person when things are going well for me. But uh, but I already got hired off rotation, so there's that. But if you're a student, you don't really get the luxury of kind of strolling in late. Am I going to count you off on your evaluation? no. But are you going to get hired off the rotation if it's you and someone else and you're strolling in late every day?
0: I'm going to hire the other person. So John Heisler late, student not
1: late. Exactly.
0: Uh, Rachel, what do you think about asking to leave early?
2: definitely think that's a big no-no. I mean,
0: really. But what if you got some stuff to do?
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, if you want to get hired right out of rotations, really it should be your priority to be on time and be punctual and stay as long as you can. Absorb all the information from the people that you have at your disposal.
0: Okay. But what about, what about like if your preceptor says you can go home? Do you say okay and then split? No. Why? They said you can go home. Yeah. I mean,
2: you if you really, really want to get hired off of that rotation, you got to show that you're willing to put in the work and that you're very, very excited about being there. So I think it's important to try and stay. Granted, if your preceptor tells you a second time to go home, I mean, after that, I think it's okay.
0: Yeah, then you got to go. Yeah. yeah, then you really got to go. <laughs>
1: then you're being annoying. If they tell you twice, they may be tired of spending time with you. I view it as a lot of times like when you're out to dinner with friends and the check comes, you got to make at least the effort
0: Exactly. (laughs) Pretend like you're taking your credit card out. Even if you don't really want to pay, you just got to make the effort. (laughs) Um, What about uh, like a dress code? I felt when I was a student really weird showing up to rotations in like full dress attire when it was really a scrub rotation. Yeah, I would do your best to
1: find out what that rotations attire is before you get there. It's like low-key stock them. Yeah, and email them or however you have their, get their contact info and email them in advance if you can and just say, hey, what's the attire on your rotation? Because if it is a scrubs, you're going to look funny in a full suit. Make sure you're dressing to the minimum, but probably a little bit above what the attire is for the dress code. If it's a scrubs rotation, wear scrubs, but please wear clean scrubs. You don't need to press your scrubs but don't wear old wrinkly scrubs just be cognizant if the people are wearing tennis shoes wear nice looking tennis shoes they don't need to be most expensive in the world but not dirty hole in them tennis shoes just just think about what you're wearing
0: we do to think about white coats um so the politically correct answer is to follow whatever guidelines your school has set forth for you if you are going to wear a white coat, please make sure it's clean and not covered in breakfast or last week's coffee.
1: All right. Question student who's listening. When
0: is the last time you washed your student white coat? Oof. Jeremy, yeah, when's the last real. time you washed your white coat? If you're asking how frequently I wash my white coats, I have multiple white coats and I try to wash them at least once every two weeks. That is way more than most people I know. Mm-hmm. So. That's, I mean, congrats. if you have that many. Congrats. But I find the far easier solution to be to not just not wear it. So, let's move on to what to do on shift. All the time, especially in the morning, things get really, really busy. And if I have a student who's really uninterested in learning, I don't have much motivation to break away from my busy clinical shift to start teaching you things. How can a student kind of express that they're interested in learning what you have to teach them or what's available on the, on the rotation
2: I think enthusiasm for learning everything in the ICU really gets you a long way. I mean, there's so many learning opportunities when you get into the ICU. That's kind of why we love the career to this day, is there's constantly something new to learn, constantly a new situation that you haven't been in before. And as a student, I mean, that's literally every day is a new situation you haven't been in before.
1: But what if you're on your psych rotation? (laughs) That'd be. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell how Rachel feels about psych. Should
0: you still act interested?
2: Uh, I mean... You have to, to a certain extent. Fake it till you make it.
0: I I think that's partially true. Um, I like the fake it till you make it thing, though I like better fake it until you become it. Exactly. Uh, Which was a TED Talk that I've been watching a lot. Oh, nice. The idea is that if you start, like, for example, let's take psych. Um, I loved my psych preceptor. She was one of the most fantastic physicians I've ever worked with, and I actually still keep in touch with her. But as far as the psych rotation went... I was not super jazzed about it, but I faked it. I saw the patients. I tried to see value in what I was learning. And to be honest with you, over time, I kind of started to like practicing psychiatric medicine. And it wasn't that I intended to set out to make myself like it, but I found myself getting really involved with patients' lives. I went to uh, one of the psych patients' birthday parties. We were dancing and everything. I mean, I got really entwined in the specialty that I thought I would absolutely hate, and it actually ended up being one of my favorite rotations. Well, and do we see psych patients in pulmonary and critical care medicine? And all the time. And the things that I learned on that rotation have actually benefited me in the future. So fake it till you become it is what I think is a good. I think even if... You have zero interest in going into that specialty.
1: Those providers know all of the people in the specialty you are interested in doing it. Medicine is a small world. Just keep that in mind. You're going to be around and exposed to all
0: specialties, particularly in the hospital. Always look engaged and interested. I think along with being interested, tell the entire team, hey, if you guys see any educational opportunities or something interesting rolling along, let me know because I want to learn about it you taking the initiative to demonstrate your interest in the specialty is going to make for really interesting teaching opportunities for you. What do you all think about taking initiative to do procedures? There's a fine line. Yeah. There's a real fine line between being engaged and learning how to do procedures and being annoying and asking to do all of my procedures Mm -hmm. when clearly there might be something, you know, preventing me from asking you to do them. Uh, what I would say is if you want to do a central line, you watch all the central lines you can, you know, the steps. If I were to ask you, Hey, walk me through how you would do a central line, be able to tell me each step piece by piece so that I know that you're ready to do one and taking it seriously. And then, yeah, you can have it. But you know, if you're just a person who's like, yeah, I will do a central line and you have no real interest in learning the procedure, then you're less likely to get it. I would say. What if it's a procedure you've never done and someone asks you to do it? Should you say yes? Who I'm going to feel out that one to Rachel.
2: <laughs> I think it's really important to kind of gauge your comfort level. So if it's a procedure that you've seen a lot before and you feel confident that with a good preceptor, you'll be able to walk through the steps with them, I think it's good to go ahead. But in general, in medicine, you know, you're dealing with real lives, real patients. So if there is even an ounce of discomfort, I would defer and Say you know maybe not now maybe let me watch this one and I could do the next one.
1: Yeah, I think being open and honest with your preceptor and saying hey I've never done this before I really want to do one uh, either walk me through it before or maybe I see you do this one and do the next one or maybe we do it together. Something like that's a good approach to that. Anytime someone's doing a procedure, you should put gloves on even if you're not going to be the one doing it or maybe even initially you're not even helping. At some point they're going to need some help that they didn't think about. And if you already have gloves on, it's easy to just go ahead and do whatever they need to do. Whether that's just open stuff or whatever, anticipating their needs. I love my students when I'm doing a central line who go ahead and they, they grab what I need from the cart. Cause they've, they've seen a couple. So they go ahead and get all the things that I need and they go ahead and start opening stuff and dropping it sterily on my tray without asking me. That's awesome. What if you're a person who's nervous to do procedures So my first rotation was at a teaching hospital and actually had a lot of procedural opportunities and I was very nervous to do them, but I kind of just worked through that and did it. And getting the experience of doing that really early on in rotations really set me up for success. I got to do a lot more procedures in some of my later rotations than some of my other colleagues because I had that
0: procedural experience early on. What about, I see this a lot, cardiac arrests happen in the hospital it's a fact of life and we are one of the code teams that respond to these arrests and often see students kind of running with us but once we finally get to the room they either stay in the hallway or kind of find themselves off in a corner how can a student get a little bit more engaged in a stressful kind of opportunity like that compressions yeah oh yeah
1: throw gloves on right away as soon as you get in the room as a student Try not to stand back. Definitely don't get in the way. But go ahead and get in the CPR line. Get some gloves on. You can definitely do that well. And while you're doing it, you can watch what the code leader is doing and kind of think through the algorithm as they're thinking through it and see if you come to the same conclusion.
2: Yeah, actually, uh, one of the coolest experiences I had as a student, there was a code in the CT. And I went and I started doing compression. So I was right in front of the patient. It was extremely crowded, so it was really hard to get a close look. They end up getting a CT in between ROSC, you oh. know, when before mm-hmm. she coated again, and it turns out the patient had a large, large tamponade. Oh, wow. They tried to do a pericardiocentesis at bedside, failed. So they ended up actually doing a pericardial window. And I was above the patient the entire time. And it was probably one of the coolest things I saw during my rotations in general. And I got to do it because I was doing compressions.
0: Yeah, but on the scene, you wouldn't have had that educational opportunity. Exactly. The other thing that you should all download right now, it's, uh, I don't get any money for this, but this is an app called Full Code Pro. I think there's a free version and then a version that's like $3 or something like that. But uh, it basically lets you start a timer and then record when epi was given, when chest compression started, when they stopped. And you'd be surprised how involved you can get in the code when you are the recorder. When the provider looks around the room and it's like, has it been two minutes yet? And everyone's kind of like, blank stares, not looking. And uh, you're the person who's like, it's been two minutes. We've given one dose of epi and two amps of bicarb. Suddenly you're like, hey, right next to me, let's do this. That's good advice.
1: All right, what if there's downtime? What should you guys be doing?
2: Uh, one thing that I did that really, really helped me in general, not only for the pants, but also for the job that I have now, was reading about things that were in my immediate past. Such as if we saw a pneumothorax and saw a chest tube placed in, I would go on Up to Date and read about pneumothoraces.
0: Yeah, that's uh, like story based learning and spaced repetition. So the idea being that if you see something, ask about it, have your preceptor teach you about it that story will stick with you, then go home and learn about it. And the fact that you just have this continued exposure that's connected with an emotional experience that you had on shift, you'll never forget it. I mean, I can still think about if you name diseases, I have patients in my brain that I've seen time and time again that are just burned into, you know, my experiences and what happened on shift. What about uh, using your phone? shift I have everything on my phone really I mean my whole life is there I read on there I have a my pocket account my Evernote account everything that I need clinically to read is on my phone should I use my phone on shift I think this advice
1: is probably different in 2018 than it was in 2005 or something like that Uh, but It's phone use is so ubiquitous now and you're right. Some schools require students to record the types of patients they see. And that may be on an app on your phone as well. I'm just telling you, if I can't see what you're looking at on your phone and there's downtime and you're looking at your phone, maybe this is old fashioned to me. But my first thought is that you're looking at Facebook. Now you you just need to find a way to let me know that you're not looking at Facebook.
0: One of the things that I used to do is bring a tablet. I found that people were a lot more accepting of the tablet and less questioning of my activities than than just on my phone. But that's not to say go buy a tablet if you don't have one already. Yeah. I think there's ways to do the phone thing
1: without people thinking you're on Facebook. Like I just looked this up on UpToDate and it Shows this and kind of show them what you're looking at on your phone. You just have to do that, you know, once a day or once with the preceptor. And now I'm thinking, oh, they're looking up to date on their phone, not, oh, they're looking at Facebook mm-hmm. on their phone.
2: So let's say your preceptor is super busy and appears to be really stressed out. What would you do to the student?
1: So I've thought about this advice a lot over the years, and, and now I kind of call this a, a fade in fade out technique. Look for those. Subtle. They may be subtle cues that your preceptor is busy or they may be seeming distracted when they're answering questions or they're running around seeing patients or they're getting sweaty or something like that. But <laughs> if that's happening, learn how to fade in and fade out as the student. That preceptor is taking on an additional burden, if you will, teaching you. And it's something that we're all passionate about doing it. So I'm doing it because I love teaching and I love educating the next generation but I still got to see my patients. And so know when to fade out and be a little bit just next to the scene as the student, still looking stuff up, reading your books, listening to the patient, writing stuff down, but not being the center of attention. And when that provider is done with that patient encounter or finishing it up, then you can kind of, Fade back in, interject yourself, and start asking some well-developed questions you've kind of thought
0: of while the patient encounter happened. That's the best way to do it in my mind. I love that analogy. I really enjoy having students. I feel as though it is my responsibility to make sure that student is learning the appropriate things they need to be learning on rotation. And the biggest source of stress for me as a provider when things get really busy is when I feel like I need to micromanage their learning. So if things get really, really hectic and I have to go start taking care of stuff, if I need to give you assignments, uh, then something has gone wrong. I love when students realize that I'm crazy busy and then say, hey, I'm gonna go read this unless there's something that you think is more important for me to study. Students who are self-starters and show initiative to go and read on their own when I'm not directly, you know, lecturing them or teaching them at the bedside, such a stress relief as a, as a preceptor for your students. We've started talking about this a good bit, but let's
1: talk a little bit more about independent learning. On rotations like ours, what should your morning look like as a student?
0: I would say most of our students who are independent learners will ask for patient assignments or receive a patient assignment and go see the patient, just like they've been trained. Go get all of the data, know their patient in and out, and uh, kind of develop an assessment and plan for the day. And as they finish that, either request more assignments, request for, you know, sort of review of their patients if there's time in the morning, or uh, continue to read up on some of the disease processes that the patient is presenting with. What about in the afternoon?
2: I think in the afternoon, it's really important to follow up on the things that happen in the morning. It's an important skill. You know, a lot of people know how to throw a treatment at a patient, but they don't necessarily know how to follow up on that.
0: The time I was most impressed with one of the students is when we, uh, I forget what we did, but we were doing something. And about two hours later, the student was like, hey, make sure you follow up on that chest x-ray. And I turned around and I was like, thank you. Like the fact that that she remembered that we needed to circle back around and make sure that we followed up on on the closure of the treatment plan was really impressive to me. Oh, that's awesome. Pet peeve. When I say something like, hey, go ahead and read up on ARDS or sepsis and we'll talk about it tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and you didn't dun, look dun, it up. Dun. Dun, dun, Huge pet peeve. What if you get busy and you forget to ask them? My favorite thing in the world is when students say, hey, don't forget you were supposed to talk to me about ARDS and or sepsis. Part of me is like, oh, oops, forgot to do that. But the other part of me is good on you for taking initiative Mm -hmm. and control of your education and reading up and being ready to be put in the hot seat. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Another thing to just remember is that depending on the preceptor, that preceptor may have gone home and refreshed themselves on whatever topic they asked you to read on. So if you didn't read it, all
0: of a sudden you just made your preceptor read it. Any closing remarks on what to do on rotation to get hired off rotations? Well, we've... Spent this whole time time about rotations and
1: haven't talked about patients much or families. What do you think about that?
2: I think as a student, you're really in a unique role. As a provider, when you are actually hired and you're a PAC and you're seeing 12, 16 patients. You know, it's hard to actually give individual attention to each patient. So I think as a student, when you're assigned one or two patients, you really have a unique opportunity to advocate for that patient, even if you don't have the experience and the knowledge that people above you have. It's really, really cool when a student goes out of his or her way to go see a patient and give them the attention to make them feel emotionally complete.
0: And I think that's a great way that you can get involved. There are so many. I always say critical care is equal parts managing your own psychology communicating with the team and managing your team uh, skills procedurally and knowledge but then also interpersonal relationships I mean it is so ingrained in what we do to try and move the care forward for the patient and students can really be involved with that
2: exactly and it's a huge facet of medicine too because you know there's book knowledge but there's also emotional knowledge and the skill to be able to communicate to patients and communicate to your colleagues and this is where you could really develop that
0: so you finish your rotation, you leave, all got all the warm and fuzzies, and uh, you're sitting in front of your computer on Amazon trying to find a gift for your preceptor. Yay or nay? I'm hungry right now, so <laughs>
1: I'd, be, I'd be fine with some donuts. Some cookies. But now in general, I remember what it was like to be a poor student. I'm not expecting any gifts from you. So in general, I think they're unnecessary <laughs> if you feel the need to do it. We've, people have done it for us over the years, so I'm not advocating you need to do it, but if you're going to do it, we know you're poor. We know you're cheap. <laughs> Get us donuts if you have to do something. The packs of gum I thought was really unique for me that I've had from students before.
0: I think I bought somebody coffee before, but that was about as expensive as I got. Yep. What I think is great is a handwritten note, you know, something just displaying how meaningful the rotation was what you liked about it maybe you know constructive feedback if you think you can do it tastefully but uh no nothing i don't think you need to purchase anything no if you want to work with a group should you tell them
1: yes absolutely you think don't be afraid you think don't think you're
0: overstepping your boundaries to say i want to work with you
1: no not at all i love you guys i want to work with your group it goes a long way and we don't know what you think. Even if you look like you're having a good time on rotation, doesn't equal to us, I want to work here. Maybe you're interested in an entirely different specialty. So make known what you want. What about who should you tell that you want to work there? should tell everyone. Tell but everybody. Besides just that, kind of start to feel out who are the important people on that rotation. And not just important in general, but yes, that too. But who's involved in the hiring process on the rotation, if you're looking for that? Who's involved in the recommendation process? Get to know those people, or at least so they know your
0: name. Let them know you're interested. So that's one strategy, but I could also just submit my application via the online HR portal and it would get to the same person. You think that. It's not always true. The things that I think about are timing, um, communication, and making sure that you're getting to the right person. So, for example, I actually applied with our group or at least expressed interest in applying with our group about a year and a half before I graduated, and I never got an email back. Do you know that? Really? Yeah, I I won't name her, but I emailed her a year and a half before I graduated, and she never responded. Now, maybe it just got buried in the emails, and that's fine. But then as I got closer to graduation, I sent out emails to every major ICU in the entire city. I said, hey, my name is Jeremy. This is why you should hire me. This is why I want to work with you. Can we meet for lunch? And I sent it out to about 17 different people. I got emails back from maybe five of them. And ultimately, I started working here because I've reached out. Uh, so, I, And I look back on the HR portal applications that I submitted. I think I submitted like five. All of them got dumped in the trash. Because when they see that you know, zero years of experience, they don't want you. You have to demonstrate looking- your value.
1: Maybe looking at a specific algorithm as well that, for whatever reason, throws your resume out. Even if you are a worthy candidate, they may have just some sort of specific terminology they're looking for that doesn't exist in your resume or application. As far as the email thing, most of your preceptors are busy people. Don't assume just because they don't answer your email that they read it, considered it, and don't want to hire you. I guarantee you if that email is sent to me, it probably got buried in my inbox. And I'm certain that is true for most of your preceptors. I'm sure it is. So there's nothing wrong with sending a follow-up email and saying, hey, I didn't hear from you. I didn't know if that was because you don't have any spots available. If, if that's true, I totally understand. But if it just got buried in your inbox, I wanted to
0: resend you my resume. Yeah, I think anything you can do to demonstrate how hungry you are, it's going to pay off for you yeah. in the future. So what about you send your email? They say keep in touch. Now what? actually keep in touch. seriously the um, I actually have a couple students who were interested in, in you know either working here or learning more about what we're doing and uh, they came to shadow. they emailed me as a, just an update like hey here's where I'm at on this thing still would really like to rotate with you blah 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 and then sent another follow-up email like hey I'm getting closer to rotations. Uh, can you connect me with your student coordinator? And those people are ingrained in my mind as people who are pretty passionate about ICU, who have been emailing me for the past, you know, 15 months like Rachel did.
1: Mm -hmm. You guys have any closing thoughts?
2: So I really think, you know, although it's really important to know what to do in order to try and get hired off of a rotation, it's really also important to know what not to do if you want to get hired.
1: So you sound like you have an example on the tip of your tongue.
2: So uh, one of my most memorable students, and not in a very good way, was a student who, whenever I would try and teach her something, and she, she was very, very smart. Uh, she or he, sorry, I'll keep it anonymous. <laughs> she or he was very, very smart. But every time I tried to teach something, she or he acted like they knew everything already. Uh, and that was extremely frustrating because I was taking time out of my clinical day to try and teach a pearl. Uh, You know, and even though you may know that, you know, you could always get new information from people. So I think being open to listening and not just saying, well, I already know that.
0: Something that that we've been trying to work on Mm -hmm. is feedback, both getting better at giving feedback, but also better at receiving feedback. Mm -hmm. And one of the most helpful strategies in the moment is don't argue against the feedback. Say, thank you for the feedback. I can't tell you how many times... I've just given really subtle points of correction. Hey, next time during your presentation, maybe you should try and be a little bit more focused. Or hey, for your assessment and plan, make sure you just don't report information, but actually say what your assessment and plan is. Uh, and so you'll correct these things, and they'll go. Well, yeah, but all my other rotations, like they maybe do this, or earlier you told me that. Don't argue against the feedback.
2: Exactly. Take to it. Make excuses. Yeah, yeah, take it,
0: roll with it, say thank you for the feedback, and maybe later you can say, hey, I just had a clarifying question. Earlier you told me X, Y, Z, and now you're saying this. Can you help me to sort of understand the difference between the two? Yeah.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: I understand where that defensive mechanism is coming from, and we talk to trainees about this. You're trying to prove yourself as a student or a new hire or a trainee. You, have, you feel like you have to prove yourself to those more veteran preceptors and to s- some extent you do, but the way that's not the way to go about it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what proves far more to me is if you're humble when receiving feedback on your patient care and then make alterations for it down the road.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I think it's important to be aggressively seeking criticism and know that any criticism that you get is not innately meant to be hurtful. It's meant to help you. And so really taking everything with a grain of salt to a certain extent, but saying, why did they say that? And how can I apply this to my practice? And I think, too, it's really important to know as a student, your role is not to be the content expert. You are here to learn from the people who are content experts. And so really, you know, accepting that role and residing into that role and knowing that it's okay not to know everything.
1: Yeah, I think that's something else we tell trainees and students kind of relish the role Of being able to learn something Because once you're out practicing People expect you to know it Even if you don't always So this is your one main chance in your life To not know things And tell people you don't know things So they teach you If you do that overconfident defense mechanism route You're going to miss out on learning opportunities The humble, enthusiastic
0: student Is my favorite student It's a unicorn It is But I want to hire you Absolutely. if you're a humble enthusiastic unicorn you don't have to tell me you want to work with us because i'm telling our hiring manager we need to get you on our team right out of rotation we can train someone like that every time well we hope this was helpful for you if you are a student listening first of all thank you for listening and reach out to us with more questions if you had them as always keep breathing keep streaming and keep reading